0: Good afternoon, my sisters. I'm not sure if there are brothers here, but good afternoon. As usual, it's a great pleasure to be with God's people and to gather around God's word. We are going to attempt to continue our series on disciple making. Today, we're going to present part two. In part one, we looked at the sapler making as the implementation of the royal mandate. Mandate because there was the cultural mandate given by the Creator to the first human beings, charged with the responsibility of multiplying and filling the earth and taking dominion over the rest of creation. Evidently, they did not succeed the way God expected them to. And so... In Genesis chapter 12, God now chose another person, called him out of a pagan environment and entered into a covenant with him, promised that he would bless him and make him a blessing and that from him, That which Adam and Eve did not do entirely. He would do. The promise is that through Abraham and his seed, he would bless the world. Of course, by the time we get to the New Testament, we discover that that blessing was more than offspring. It was more than land. It was now spiritual. And and this is why we would refer to the mandate as not only royal but spiritual. Because in the New Testament we discover that this blessing of Abraham constituted justification by faith and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And all of this was going to come to us through the seed of Abraham, not Isaac, but Jesus Christ. And this is incorporated. This. As the Redeemer, the Rescuer. The Savior of the world. The one who will restore man. To relationship with God. So that man can become man as he was intended to be. Demonstrated by the life of Jesus Christ himself. Last time we looked at. Disciple-making, therefore, as God-ordained. As what God commanded. But more than commanded, that God made possible. He made possible through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died to provide forgiveness of sins for all people and rose again to provide eternal life for those who believe on him. And before he returned to heaven, he said to his disciples, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. On earth, that authority is going to be vested in the church. Because Paul says that Jesus Christ is appointed as head over all things, all authority, all things for the church, for the church. His authority is vested in the church, in believers, you and I. And there's a correlating passage. Of course, in Matthew 28. He says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. And notice the all nations. God is interested in His entire creation. All nations. That was the mandate to Adam and Eve. Replenish the earth, the whole earth. Take dominion over everything animals, plants, everything. Now he says, go and make disciples of all people groups, all nations. And the passage I, I hint at is Acts 1 verse 8. You shall receive power, authority, when the holy spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witness starting in jerusalem extending to judea then to samaria and then to the ends of the earth the utmost part of the earth Last time we looked at an example of this in First Thessalonians and, and just recently it occurred to me that the entire New Testament is a manual of disciple making. It never occurred to me before That Jesus' plan and purpose was fulfilled. In Mark chapter 3, we read that Jesus ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he would send them forth. Which was what he did before he went back to heaven. He said to them in the upper room, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Think about it. The sending, the apostleship, was no different from the sending of Jesus Christ. With the same authority. With the same mission. And the beautiful thing is, that as far as God is concerned. This mission is going to be fulfilled. And you and I are privileged, so privileged, to be in the implementation stage. As far as the initiation is concerned, the inauguration, is that has taken place. Jesus has done a good job. Hear him on the cross. life, Finish. Adam, my work is done. But now he has passed the baton on to us to continue. And our role is not to die for anybody, to shed our blood for anybody. Our blood is just to declare, to proclaim. I have a friend who has an excellent mind. Um, photographic memory and I say friend why don't you go and do a PhD degree he says what am I doing a PhD degree for God has gifted me as a proclaimer and he doesn't need a PhD degree to proclaim neither do you we just need to understand to believe And as scripture says, how shall they hear without a preacher? So last week we looked at simple definition that disciple making is a process by which believers will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, where we will Be on a journey to become more and more like Christ. In other words, we enrolled in the school of discipleship, where we are learning and we are allowing our lives to be changed and to become more and more like Christ. Because this is God's plan. God's plan is to people the earth. With people like Christ. The people of the earth with people like Christ. In fact, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, talked about a new humanity. And you and I are privileged in bringing this into being. Where people will hear the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Receive eternal life. And then begin the process. Of becoming more like Christ. Becoming obedient. And and taking on the responsibility. Of sharing this good news. And this is so important. So very important, <laughs> and 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 I stand for correction. So important that the devil takes it serious. It takes it very serious. And the background to the study to, to, to the book that we are studying today, First John, proves this. Because John's church, the church that John is addressing, assuming the role as an elder in this church, is a church that was attacked, under attack by the devil, with all kinds of false teachings about who Jesus Christ is. And that's why John takes time to clarify To make sure, to affirm, to make sure that the members of this church understand who Jesus is. That Jesus is not a phantom. Jesus is not. Jesus was from the beginning. He was God from the beginning. He didn't become God after he was born. He was God before he was born. And the Spirit of God came upon him and remained on him and has not left him. But they taught all kind of foolish doctrines about who Jesus is. So the devil takes this serious and tries to deceive and confuse and to abuse. And so, this week we're going to look at First John, at another page, another chapter in this subject of disciple-making. Because this is the mission of the church. This is what we are called to do somebody says that jesus's last command is our first concern this is what church is about this is our mission to win the world for christ and to disciple them to assist them to facilitate them in becoming more like christ and so, let me read the, sec, the, 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 the text that I've selected for the day. It comes to us from First John, chapter two, verse twelve. I write to you, dear children. And I'm going to change the because to that. Because the Greek word translated because can be translated that. If you look at the Jubilee translation, that's how it is translated. I write to you, dear children, that your sins have been forgiven. On account of his name I write to you fathers that you have known him who is from the beginning I write to you young men that you have overcome the evil one I write to you dear children because you have known the father I write to you fathers that you have known him who is from the beginning i write to you young men that you are strong and the word of god lives in you and you have you have overcome the evil one the last time we pointed out not only the process but the product and the product is that the the members of this church in thessalonica under the guidance and care and teaching of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, displayed tremendous faith, love, and hope. And as they imitated their teachers who imitated their Lord, they became models. Models to the churches in their province and in the entire country. And their faith was known everywhere. And that they echoed, they sound forth, the the Bible says, the message of the gospel everywhere. Fulfilling what Jesus said you go and make disciples of all nations. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, starting at home, extending to the neighborhood where you live, to your borough, your, your county, and then your country, and then to the uttermost part of the world question to begin our study for today is what happens when you receive the message of the gospel have you considered this what happens to you when you receive the message of the gospel this message is the truth about the person and work of christ When you, as an individual, receive this message, what happens? The the Bible says, and our text says, and and of course, we're going to begin our study from chapter 1. That you receive eternal life since he jesus is both the source and the substance of eternal life he says i am the way the truth and the life and this is how he begins john begins the first paragraph of chapter one that which was from the beginning which you have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete In John 17, verse 3, it is is stated this way. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when we respond, when we receive the message, we receive eternal life. Because the message is not just words that we preach. The message is a person. And the person is the one who loved us so much that he died in our place, as he stated in another place in the same letter. And rose again from the dead so that we can receive eternal life. Now, when we receive eternal life, what happens? When you receive eternal life. By believing in Christ. What, what have you thought about that? That the paragraph I just read tells us. It says. We proclaim to you. What we have seen and heard. Verse 3. So that you also may have. Fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So, believing God's truth brings us into a living union with God and with fellow believers. A living union that nothing can change this is defined as fellowship or as relationship with the Father and the Son. So, fellowship. It might be referred to as unity in, in, in other places, but John uses a word that is very powerful a word. ...that we are going to think a little bit more about. Somebody says that faith is the door to fellowship. Faith is the door to fellowship. Fellowship with God the Father, the Son, and with one another. In classical Greek... The word, the word koinonia, which is a word translated fellowship here, is used as a favorite expression of marriage. The most intimate bond between human beings. Marriage. You know, there's a word that says that for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And literally that that means it's, it's like dust sticking to the sole of your shoe. A living union, not just a mental union, an emotional union, but a living spiritual union. That's why the Bible says that by the Spirit we are baptized into the body of Christ. It's unbroken. It is strong. It's abundant. It is used here as an appropriate description of Christian relationship with God and fellow believers. Verse 6 and 7 say If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. So, fellowship is what we now have with God. Konenia also means participation or sharing in a business partnership or joint tenancy like titles these days where two persons can be vested as owner of a property. I'm not sure if John was thinking of the partnership that existed between himself, his brother, and his father in the fishing business. And therefore, they were joined together. There was joint participation in this business. And it is based on the fact that both John and James have the same father. And this is very interesting and very important to note. That (laughs) the relationship between you and I as members of the family of God is the same. You don't have a closer relationship than, than I have because the same father john and his brother james were partners in their father zebedee's fishing company because they were sons of zebedee the only way to genuine membership in the body of christ into fellowship with god is believing the apostolic message and this is very important we notice that paul and John and Peter were apostles. They were the ones who received the message. And, and they were the ones who transmitted the message. It is recorded here in the Bible. So that we don't have to invent anything. Because it won't work anyway. Because there is only one way. It wouldn't work. We can come up with all kind of new ideas. But it won't work. Because this is the one God-ordained way. The only way to genuine membership is by believing the apostolic message. Now... <clears throat> what is referred to here as fellowship in our text is referred to as family to know Christ is to know God to believe the truth about Jesus Christ is to know fellowship with God accepting Christ introduces us into the family of God and I love that because God places a high premium on family. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible says that God has people to earth with families. You see, it is it, it, not it is it, not sociologists who invent the idea that the family is The basic unit of society. God has demonstrated that. The world is made in families. He has distributed the population of the world in families. So when we accept Christ into our lives, we are automatically introduced into the family of God. To belong to the Father is to belong to one another. And so last week we had that picture of a nuclear family. Paul, Silas, and Timothy functioning as mother, father to children. And that's a beautiful picture. But the picture painted in scripture seems to go a little beyond the nuclear family to the extended family. Or if we stick with nuclear family, that is beautiful enough and accurate enough that all of us, and, 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 and John refers to all believers, As children, dear children, children of God, because we belong to the one Father. Now, if our since we belong to the family of God, we are called upon. And as you read through John writing here, some people say it is not a letter, because it, does, it doesn't begin or end it like letters used to in those days. But whatever it is, instruction here is writings, whatever. <clears> he <throat> it, it, um, it talks a lot about how we should behave. And what he says is that what we believe should affect how we behave. In our text that we chose, it seemed to suggest that who we are should determine how we behave. And one of the arguments that he presents or fact that he presents facts that he presents is that we should walk in the light. But he says we should walk in the light as he is in the light. So we are controlled. Our walk is controlled. It is controlled by who he is and how he walks. And he talks a lot about light and 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 light depicts his nature another word for light could be holiness so the question is what does it mean to walk in the light as god is in the light and in chapter 2 he addresses that he says my dear children And now he's referring to children at all stages of growth and development. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now, the the false teachers had some weird ideas about sin. But what he meant here is you must not disobey the command of God. You must not displease God. You must not try to go off on your own and think that God will be pleased with you. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. And that is encouraging, don't you think? In other words, what he's saying here, you should be conscious, off and later on he says confess your sins we have one who speaks to the father in our defense isn't that beautiful and the one he's talking about is jesus christ the righteous one the only one whose life always pleased the father The one who did no sin, he was without sin. The one who was made sin for us, although he was righteous. But he did that so that we might be declared the righteousness of God in him. Secondly, he says, he says here, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins are not only ours but also for the sins of the whole world we know that we have come to know him if we obey the command the man who says i know him but does not do the command is a liar and the truth is not in him But if anyone obeys the word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So to walk in the light is to walk in love. Well, let me finish it. Um, The true God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So to walk in the light is to walk in love as Jesus did. Abiding in him and obeying him, declaring this is what God is like at all times. To know him is to love him. And if we love him, then we have to love his other children who are our sisters and brothers. And then verse 9 to 11 tells us that to walk in the light is to show genuine love to fellow believers. Anyone who claims to be in the light most anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. He walks around with a blinder. And and so, as members of the family of God, we must live according to the family code we must be conscious of and confess our sins. We must walk in love as Jesus did, abiding in Him and obeying Him. And we must show genuine love to fellow believers. One of the things things I learned that has blessed me is the fact that (laughs) You know, I've just discovered that the entire New Testament is a manual and disciple making. But I've also described that anywhere you turn in the New Testament, there is some reference or inference to the New Covenant. Because here we Seem to discover a built-in means of growth, a built-in means of growth that we really don't have to come with things from the external. It's 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 built-in. Note that the word translated because can be translated that in our text which would make each line statements and not casual. It is not saying this is a cause, but it is saying that this is what it is. Like the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, we have descriptions, not prescriptions. It is not saying that we must, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He is actually congratulating his the assumption. He's making an assumption. So he's saying here, Children, your sins are forgiven on account of his name. This is who you are. there are assumptions of the authentic Christian family of God. And he speaks as the elder who knows what is required. Affirming, not scolding believers. Not trying to send them on a guilt trip. But almost congratulating them and saying this is the attitude with which you live your life as members of the family of God live with the understanding that your sins are forgiven according to his name not because you paid penance or because of any good works but because of the grace of God. You have been forgiven of your sins. And if. He says it. Don't, don't try to fool anybody. That you. You never and you will never commit any sin. If you commit sin. Know. That he will forgive you. He will purify you. He will cleanse you from all sins. And So. This internal me- me- mechanism of growth works this way. The children are at stage one experiencing forgiveness of sins on the account of his name. As well as they are enjoying fellowship with the father. If you compare the what looks like a poem in my Bible here, if you look at the at the poem, in one section he says, "Your sins are forgiven," and in that, and the other section, you know the Father, you are enjoying fellowship with the Father, and that's good for infant for the new believer to know that your sins are forgiven, and again. He's addressing the false teachings that cause confusion. Because for new believers, that's one of the one, 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 one of the tension, one of the problems to accept the fact that just by the death of Jesus, by Jesus taking your place, your sins can be forgiven. But that's what new covenant says. Your sins and your iniquities, I will remember them no more. And the old devil like, like, like to remind us of the past. But the Bible says that you are forgiven of your sins and you are in union. You are united. You have been baptized. You are in fellowship with the Father. Then it says that the father's outstanding experience, that which stands out for, for 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 these older, more experienced members, is deeper fellowship with the Father. And I can't help but think, it doesn't say here that 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 they're could be accountability links here where the father's influence is influencing the children as well as the young men and the young men are influencing the children just like in a nuclear family where the nurturing the caring is not done just by the parents but it is done by the older siblings. The young men now they, they oh they stand out and they they, they they seem to be the proof that this thing works it says young men through the strength from the word of God abiding in you, you are able to overcome the evil one. And the, 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 the topic of overcoming seems to be one of the favorites of John. Whether it's John Gospel, the Epistles, or in the book of Revelation, he's always talking about overcoming. And overcoming is the goal, one of the goals of living our lives as Christians, doesn't it? Because it is one thing to be saved from the penalty of sin. But in our daily lives, we have to contend with the power of sin and the power of the evil one. But the young men here are showing that it is possible to overcome the evil one. Possible when the word of God, when we read, meditate, and obey the word of God on a daily basis, we will overcome the evil one. So as we close, here are some questions. How does these affirmations, children, your sins are forgiven and you enjoy fellowship with the Heavenly Father. How does these affirmations and fathers, you are enjoying intimate, deep fellowship with the Father. And young men, you are overcoming the evil one. How does these affirmations help the disciple-making process? How? Is John wasting words here? Does he have a strategy? Does he have a purpose, a goal? I think so. Because if you know who you are, and where you are, you will know what progress is needed. Because if children look at and, and see how their fathers behave and see how the older siblings behave, that will become an incentive for them to read the word, to meditate, to pray. To be more obedient. And when you make progress, it is not only for you, but it is for you to help others to do the same. So I can't help but think that this was what is happening in this church, where those who are more experienced are influencing those who are less experienced. In the family of God, or in any family, and more so in the family of God, we should stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. We should be saying, here's my hand, take my hand, I need you to take me along with you on this journey so I can rise higher. We should stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. Father, help us. Instead of scolding, criticizing, putting people down, Help us to affirm them. To recognize where each person is in this disciple-making process. And like the apostles, like John, to affirm, to reinforce, and to model, to show, what it means to become more like Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.